Investing your wealth is a journey that demands skill, in-depth knowledge, experience and conviction from the investment manager. From you, the investor, it demands time, patience and trust in your investment manager's ability. While investing is certainly rewarding, it can be complex. You will have questions along the way and we're here to help you find the answers. In this series, our Old Mutual Wealth Investment Managers answer some hard questions and demonstrate how they do the hard thinking and work so that you don't have to. Their answers are based on an in-depth understanding of the local and global economy, financial markets and the driving forces that will shape tomorrow. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. It is great to have you listening and uh, welcome from myself, Ian Fraser. We're talking today about what the landscape will look like in terms of global inflation and how on earth did we get here? I've got a couple of ideas that we might be able to find out a lot more uh, from our guest today. Andrea Bunia is our guest uh, from Old Mutual. She's going to be talking to us with regard to inflation from Old Mutual Multi-Managers in the investment team. Andrea, first of all, welcome to you. Great to have you on the podcast today. How's it going? Hi, Ian. Um, Hello. Uh, Very well, thank you. Good. Good to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you here. Uh, My ears are open, and I have no doubt that everybody else listening has uh, a moment or two to spare to find out more about global inflation. It's something we can't get away from, and I'd love to know in context a bit more about it and how we got to exactly where we are today. Let's start high level on a global uh, kind of view of the whole thing. Tell us more about how we got to where we are when it comes to global inflation. So as you pointed out here, and we're currently dealing with very high levels of of inflation uh, on Mm. a global scale. For instance, um, you know, at the moment, we are seeing uh, inflation rates of 8.5% in the US year on year. And even in Europe, we've seen inflation rates of 7.5% over the last 12 months. These are certainly levels, fairly uh, elevated levels of inflation that we haven't seen um, in the last 40 years or so. Um, there certainly are a number of factors that have, um, I think, collectively contributed to the current uh, high levels of inflation. So on the mm. one hand, we have a very strong, uh, you know, pent up consumer demand for goods as, you know, the pandemic continued to wane. Uh, and this was also boosted by, you know, aggressive expansionary monetary and fiscal policies um, in response to COVID, uh, particularly amongst the you know, developed economies. Ultimately, this this has left consumers in those economies with a lot of excess savings to to spend, which they have certainly done. You know, once the um, the the pandemic lockdowns um, eased. Mm. Um, at the same time, when consumer demand was surging, supply was also being constrained. Um, you know, particularly for large businesses with complex supply chains, as their production uh, tends to be very vulnerable uh, to such disruptions. So those were some of the sort of earlier pressures on on inflation. But of late, uh, you know, we're quite aware of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, and this event, geopolitical event, has also placed uh, further upward pressure on commodity prices, particularly food and oil. 
At the same time, there were further disruptions to the supply chains, ongoing disruptions to those global supply chains experienced uh, across many businesses around the world. Um, and the, the latest uh, bout of, of supply chains being brought about by um, you know, lockdowns in, in China uh, or the latest lockdowns in China as a result of the of a resurgence in COVID infection cases. Mm-hmm. So all of these developments uh, over the last uh, you know two years or so have created this perfect storm of, of pressures uh, on prices, which have led to, to the current uh, elevated levels of inflation. Um, what this also has meant is that uh, these developments also point to inflation remaining at elevated levels for longer than previously anticipated. So hmm. I hope that gives you a good, um, you know, flavor as to yeah. how, uh, or, or good picture as to how we, we got to, to this point. Hey, Andrew, can I, can I just rewind for a second? Uh, you, hmm. you know, we've, we've spoken commodities now. You've mentioned the, the obvious ones like, you know, the, the cooking oil because of Ukraine being one of the biggest suppliers in the world, commodities, et cetera, from that point of view. Why was it that before all of these sort of geopolitical crises occurred, et cetera, there was such an underinvestment in commodities? Was it was it that people scrambled to get into commodities after this crisis to be able to kind of find a safe haven? Was it a bit more stable? I'm just interested in that. It's an interesting question, Ian, and thank you for that. Um, I think that underinvestment in commodities, and here again, we're talking more about the resource type commodities, so those that need to be extracted out of the ground. Okay. So not necessarily agricultural products as, as such. Yes, yes. Um, it, from an oil or fuel perspective, what has led to the pressures on uh, upward pressures on prices has been uh, the fact that OPEC hasn't really uh, propped up uh, production in response to the increase in demand mm. as the um, uh, lockdowns uh, continue to ease uh, into 2020. So that was one of the reasons. Other uh, commodities, you know, such as coal, iron, uh, mm. copper, etc., mm. um, there has been an underinvestment in those uh, commodities, particularly over the last decade or so, as we've seen the prices of those major commodities really coming under pressure, you know, post a really favorable um, commodity cycle in the early noughties. Okay. So it's, 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 it was really um, a wave of, yeah, underinvestment Mm. that has led to the supply constraint where we find ourselves today in the light of, uh, you know, increase in demand for these type of commodities. Obviously, the type of supply that needs to come on board um, has and be fast enough to sort of meet that. Okay, thanks. That's that's a, a comprehensive answer for me. Uh, let's get back to the topic of, of inflation because that's where we were headed and I steered you down a, a little side road there. I want to find out about investors and having to deal with inflation. It kind of makes investors' lives a bit more difficult, doesn't it, Andrea? It does, but like understanding how different asset classes perform in um, in an inflationary environment is quite important for for okay. investors. Right. Um, it, you know, these will ultimately drive returns for investors uh, during such an environment. But it also gives them an opportunity to understand what type of asset classes not um, you know not to be tilted uh, towards uh, should those type of asset classes um, not be expected to benefit in this type of environment. Okay. Um, 
Um, so, uh, for instance, from an asset class perspective, bonds are normally, um, you know, the biggest losers in this environment. And we've seen how global bonds have been impacted over the last 12 months, um, having registered, um, in fact, one of the worst, uh, you know, years on record. Um, as you saw, yields, global yields increase sharply across the board. Now, in South Africa, the experience of our bond market was um, somewhat different as local yields uh, were already quite elevated um, coming into this current environment, while at the same time, our inflation outlook has not fundamentally worsened when compared to the past. And this is quite an, um, uh, you know, different picture to what we've uh, noticed, for instance, in the US and Europe, where that inflation outlook has gotten worse mm. over the last six months or so. Also, in this type of environment, um, cash can be a fairly useful asset, uh, but ultimately depends on how quickly, you know, the central banks are going to push up those uh, interest rates. In most countries, um, as it stands at the moment, interest rates are quite well below the, the current inflation rates. So, you know, from a real return perspective, cash is not necessarily very attractive. Uh, for instance, in, in South Africa, um, you know, the, the repo rate is currently at 4.25, uh, with inflation rates at about 6%. Uh, you're certainly not tweaking out or you're not able to get out uh, a real return from that um, mm. asset class. Mm. Commodities also, um, for instance, tend to, to be quite good inflation hedges. They have historically performed well in an inflationary environment. And this is one of the reasons why perhaps South African equities have actually done so well over the last couple of uh, months uh, on the back of the, you know, the, the, that upward pressure in commodity prices, which has obviously uh, supported many, many commodity or resource type companies that are currently listed on uh, the local bourse. Got you. Property, um, again, is also another asset class that um, is a good inflation or acts as a good inflation hedge. And this is uh, predominantly because the, you know, the rental income uh, that's being charged by landlords tends to um, increase with the inflation over time. On the other hand, obviously, you know, the cost pressures from a building and maintenance perspective um, are likely to be a, a drag on, on income mm. uh, for mm. those type of companies. It's, it's also worthwhile pointing out that, um, you know, property sectors in the local space, um, is current, is quite different to what we have available, um, globally. So in the local space, uh, large parts of the property sector, such as, uh, shopping malls and office buildings, uh, have still not recovered yet from, from COVID. Right. Um, they're still, um, you know, sitting with very large, uh, vacancies. And also in, in such instances, for instance, landlords' ability to increase rents is, it's, uh, it's diminished. It's very much mm. reduced. Um, mm. and this is because tenants at the end of the day do have the ability to move to alternate, uh, you know, alternative buildings if they're not yep. necessarily happy with the rental increases. Mm. And, um, 
buildings or property uh, such as uh, you know shopping malls and uh, office building etc makes up quite a large component of our local uh, uh, property sector now globally um, the property sector is a lot more diversified and um, we we've, we there are for instance sectors such as for instance uh, you know data centers that are benefiting from this global shift to working and shopping online uh, there are also residential sector, um, which continues to sort of benefit uh, from the shift to work from home environment. So, um, you know, the, the fundamentals of the global property sector uh, are a lot more attractive compared to, for instance, um, uh, the, uh, the local um, uh, counterpart. Hmm. Very interesting. Let's talk about that. Let's pick up a bit more about that when it comes to uh, to doing well certainly when it comes to, to companies, what kind of companies can then do well uh, in the environment of, of high inflation and, and sort of the situation that's happening at the moment, in, certainly in the first world? Yeah. Uh, so that's a very good question. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, there, there's certainly various asset classes that, you know, from a broad perspective, they may benefit or uh, be hurt in the current yes. inflationary environment. But also within those asset classes, there are companies or subsectors that um, could ultimately be uh, beneficiaries and others that are also going to be hurt, even though the asset class itself may overall, you know, benefit. So um, if we look at um, equities in general, um, companies with pricing power are, um, you know, in a good position to uh, benefit uh, in the mm. current inflationary environment. Mm. Um, for instance, companies with a strong brand uh, tend to have uh, pricing power as customers tend to remain quite loyal to that specific brand, even in, in cases where, you know, prices of the products or the services that they sell uh, may increase. Another example of pricing power would be, for instance, companies that offer products or services that are differentiated from uh, their competitors um, and also require, for instance, um, you know, constant innovation and updates. And examples of that uh, would be, for instance, Apple or, you know, Microsoft. Mm. So those individuals who do use Apple type products, um, they're probably quite loyal to the brand and, you know, they they tend to prefer using that complete ecosystem that allows yes. them to to use different Apple devices at the same time. So that um, you know brand loyalty um, essentially supports the pricing power of those companies and supports the ability to continue to um, you know pass on increases in um, input costs onto consumers without necessarily uh, losing a lot of their consumer base. Uh, so they, you know, better positioned to absorb those price increases, uh, bypassing those um, increases ultimately um, onto to their own customers. You know, whether those those customers, ultimate customers, are the other businesses or ultimately the end consumer. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a left of center question here to wrap up in terms of global inflation. Uh, when you look into your crystal ball in front of you, there I can see it, and you can rub it and give me an answer here. Uh, what do you think is going to happen in terms of inflation in the uh, the sort of next year or so? So, um, as it stands, um, inflation is likely to be um, 
you know, a little bit lower. Obviously, there's a lot of base effects that are still coming through. So in other words, um, the high increases in commodity prices that we've seen over the last 12 months yes. have come off a very low base. So mm. the expectation of similar price increases in commodity prices going forward over the next 12 months are probably um, unfounded. Right. However, at the same time, it's worth pointing out that, you know, inflationary pressures will probably continue to exist in the system as um, supply chain disruptions are probably going to take quite a while to, to unwind. So going into next year, we certainly don't expect um, or I won't expect inflation rates of, you know, similar levels of around 7 to 8% globally. Mm. Um, those are likely to come down, but they are uh, probably going to be still higher than what we've been used to up until now. Right. Good answer. Uh, and thank you. Sorry for me putting you on the spot there, but that is an interesting perspective from your point of view and uh, to hear it as well from our point of view. Just to timestamp this, if you are listening to this in the next few months, we are at the end of April. Uh, so that's kind of where we're pegging uh, this information uh, right now while we do this podcast. I think we leave it there. That is a, a very good insight. Uh, thank you, Andrea Bunier. Uh, Old Mutual Multi Managers Investment uh, Crew, who are on the uh, the podcast today, Andrea. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your insights. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Old Mutual Wealth is a world class investment destination, offering you a wide range of investment strategies and specialist wealth management solutions. Whether your goal is to grow your wealth, generate income, or preserve capital, we select the best and most suitable investments based on your investment strategy and our extensive research and collective insights. It's vital to work with reputable specialists who can effectively structure an investment portfolio that is tailored to your unique needs and objectives. Email us at hardquestions at omwealth.co.za so that we can help you take your wealth further.